This podcast is sponsored by Moody's Analytics. The coronavirus or COVID-19 pandemic highlighted several challenges facing credit unions, above all, the urgent need to adopt technology and digital processes. Moody's Analytics works closely with credit unions of all sizes to implement technology solutions that help them gain a consistent view of changing risks and the ability to provide an outstanding member experience. From the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. As credit unions look ahead to post-pandemic operations, it's clear that some of the solutions created or enhanced in 2020 are here to stay. Like other areas of credit unions, lending departments have experienced significant process changes. Many loan originators, underwriters, and other employees shifted to working in virtual environments and adapting loan processes to the digital space. At the same time, lending departments also stepped up to provide Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, loans and options for members experiencing financial challenges due to the pandemic. I'm Casey Mishlevy, Deputy Editor with CUNA News. In this episode of the CUNA News Podcast, I speak with Robbie Holditch, a director in the Risk and Accounting Group at Moody's Analytics. Drawing on his experience providing accounting expertise to credit unions, Holditch shares key takeaways from the digitization of lending processes. He also discusses the handling of PPP and credit quality concerns under loan forbearance or deferment, including the impact on CECL allowances. Despite the current challenges related to low loan growth, Holditch says there are opportunities for credit unions to improve their margins if they know where to look. Robbie, let's talk about the lending process. How has the acceleration of digital solutions affected the lending process for clients that you worked with? I was actually with a credit union just last week here in the Southeast. And it was great to be back in person, one, just asking them what the environment was like coming out of COVID-19 and the branches starting to open up. This was the first thing that we touched on is just the digital transformation that had to take place for this particular credit union in the Southeast, just due to the black swan event. I said, you know, how was your whole process affected? He said, well, fortunately, it was a black swan event. Unfortunately, it was a black swan event. And the fortunate part of that, Casey, is he went into it and the entire workforce obviously had to go remote. And the credit union was not ready for that. And think here, the entire office, think your underwriters, think your loan originators, think your credit experts, think your accountants, human resources, everybody was was in that virtual environment. And most of the individuals that worked at the credit union, especially the corporate office there where the credit union was located, they used desktops. For everything, even the originators on the front line. So you would collect the information from the borrowers who were trying to uh, you know, originate a loan. They would bring the documents back to the credit union headquarters, sit down at their desk and quickly enter the information into Excel and Word. So my question about that was, did that change? He said, well, I, absolutely it had to. We had to change because of the Black Swan event, everybody going remote. So the first part of that was lending. The lending process, think uh, your digitized e-signatures, the entire workforce frontline had to learn how to work through that. 
as well as underwriting. So instead of using your old Excel and Word underwriting processes and trying to come up to a, does this loan make sense for the, you know, the credit union, going to a platform that is actually cloud-based, a cloud-based solution that they enter the financial statements from the, the borrower when they uh, were on the phone with them and uh, quickly ran through the different adjustments from the financial statements to come up to, should the credit union make the loan to the borrower? All that was digitized. And then you think, well, okay, well, on the back end, the accounting people had to have the ability to sit at home and run the general ledger accounts once all of these loans hit the general ledger. And it just made sense. The fortunate part of that Black Swan event is that we weren't ready and it forced us to think digital. So we're, we're not, there's still over 300 employees there at the credit union in the corporate offices. Only 25 have returned. And this was just last week. So that gives you an idea of the magnitude of digital transformation from the lenders all the way to the back office accountants that took place at this particular credit union. And I'm sure I've had many conversations with credit unions across the nation. That digital transformation was heightened. I guess the awareness of that digital transformation was heightened just because of COVID-19. Yeah, and we really can't overstate the importance of that standing up a mobile workforce or remote workforce, being able to do your work from anywhere. There are a lot of credit unions like the one you described that are primarily working off of desktops. I worked at a credit union for several years where that was the case. There wasn't a lot of ability to work remotely. And we've heard stories during this pandemic of credit unions purchasing huge numbers of laptops in order to prepare for remote work. Casey, the larger credit unions were in the position because they tend to spend more on technology, but your community-based credit unions, which are by and large spread throughout the nation, they hadn't spent the time or the money to really make that transformation. So COVID-19 in this CEO's mind was the driving force in making that digital transformation. I've heard the phrase silver lining used quite a bit over the last year to kind of describe what this pandemic environment has prompted a lot of credit unions to do. And it's been challenging. And let's combine those elements of standing up remote work with PPP loans and a lot of credit unions coming up with solutions for their members who may have lost jobs or been furloughed or were just dealing with financial challenges as a result of the pandemic. So, Ravi, how have you seen credit unions handling the PPP and credit quality concerns under loan forbearance and deferment conditions? Another good question and and something that really drove the requirement to go digital during the pandemic. I mean, their borrowers were coming to them, their members were coming to them, people who had small businesses who were shut down and who needed the cash the credit unions that participated in PPP, and thank goodness they did, you know, the NCUA and the OCC, FDIC, all, Treasury, all just begged and pleaded for these institutions to be the the front line in providing funding for small businesses and families. And fortunately, the credit unions who were had already made that digital transformation jump had the ability to use portals to collect members' information for the PPP application process. So it sped that process along to get money into the hands of the borrowers for the small companies and the families who needed it. On the back end, coming out of the pandemic, you know, there have been two or three offerings of PPP. And I think you know the application process was tough at the beginning. I think credit unions specifically 
have worked through a, a more efficient process for that application process. So it's easier for the borrowers now than it was, you know, at the beginning because it was a new program. On the back end of the pandemic, uh, now that we're getting into the forgiveness process, I'm hearing that that process has been slowed somewhat. Credit unions are experiencing increase in funds from the deposits and the forgiveness that they're seeing from PPP. So it's working as intended, Casey. Fortunately, credit unions are getting better at PPP now than they were at the first part, but that's part of the process. As far as the forbearance and deferment, talking to chief financial officers and chief executive officers around the nation, if you'll think back to the April and, and May time frames of, of 2020, when everyone was locked down and unemployment spiked at 13 point something percent. Unfortunately, unemployment was that high, but fortunately, our government, the U.S. government stepped in and started providing cash payments to individuals in order for them to live. And it, what we saw throughout 2020 was there were several stimulus measures that were put into place that provided, call it a morphine, to combat the pain of unemployment there which was a good thing for the community-based institutions because they were encouraged to offer the forbearance and deferments on loan payments for both individuals and companies. Now that we're, we're on the back end of the pandemic, we're seeing that some of the funding that the government provided is actually being used to repay those loans. So those loans have come back into a normal contractual obligation. So they are making their payments. So the forbearance and deferment measures from just a, a moody standpoint, as far as credit modeling, actually worked. The government provided an excellent source of stimulus for the people who had lost their jobs or had been furloughed in deferring those, you know, their home mortgage payments or the car payments. And now the jobs are coming back and the economy is opening up. We're seeing that the forbearance measures and deferment measures actually worked. We're seeing a level of default that we're not going to experience as we've experienced in the past when unemployment has been this high just because of those measures. The government's mandate for all institutions to to help their borrowers actually worked in this case, which is a going back to that silver lining of the measures that were put in place. That's the silver lining for financial institutions is I don't think we're going to see the level of defaults that we've seen in past crashes that we would likely face if these measures had not been put in place. And when we talk about loan forbearance, CECL or current expected credit losses is something that also kind of plays into that and has to be considered. So what effect does loan forbearance have on your CECL allowance? Another good question, something that Moody's Analytics is on the forefront during, I'm calling the summer months of 2020, when we started seeing the loan deferments and forbearance measures being pushed out to borrowers, especially for those institutions who had adopted CECL, the public business entities who went live as of 1-1 of 2020. So just think back, we were at an unemployment rate at the beginning of 2020 when they went live with CECL at 3.5%, right? Unfortunately, we have to go back in our memory and it's a bad spot in our memory, but unemployment rate spiked from 35 to 8.5% at the end of March, which produced significant volatile changes in the CECL reserves. So we saw CECL reserves jump over that of the incurred loss two, three, sometimes even four times what they were reserving under the incurred loss and significant numbers and balances. We saw that in the back end of 2020, as as unemployment rate was coming down and the forbearance measures and deferment measures were being enacted, that it actually decreased in several instances, if more so than not, it decreased the level of allowances that were being required for these public institutions. One, because it was basically a timeout on all principal and interest, add that to the back end of the loan, and we saw the actual amount of CECL allowances come down when institutions decided to help borrowers 
But great question about CECL because the CECL reserves, by and large, did increase significantly for your public institutions. For credit union land, there's a different requirement. They go live starting 1-1 of 2023. So most of your, if not all your credit unions, aren't at the required CECL calculations yet. So I'm sure they saw reserves increase on the incurred loss basis somewhat due to COVID, but I don't know that it would be to the extent CECL would have provided those increases. Yeah, it's a great point because most credit unions, like you said, are kind of preparing for this. It's coming. So let's talk a little bit more about CECL because it is a really important consideration for credit unions, particularly for accounting departments who are preparing for this right now. What do we know right now about the requirements and what have we learned about the implications of CECL going into effect for credit unions? I talked a little bit about the results just from the public business standpoint about what CECL has impacting institutions. A lot of credit unions, and think of your big credit unions here, your largest of large of credit unions, they are currently running parallel. And those numbers that I threw out earlier, the two and three times over what they put on the books for the uh, incurred allowance, is what those credit unions are seeing also. The amount of CESL allowances for those large institutions towards the back half of the year fell faster than your commercial banks. The reason is the COVID-19 pandemic was by and large a commercial type concern. So think retail, think uh, commercial real estate here, which a lot of credit unions are actually getting into that market, but did not have a significant balance on their books when the pandemic hit. So we are seeing that the retail side, the consumer space, the allowances on those particular asset classes is falling faster than that of those commercial loans, which would possibly impact right the allowance at most of your credit unions. As far as the requirement of CECL and, and just stepping through at a high level, things to think about. CECL is going to change, add to what you're currently calculating as far as your incurred loss. It's going to add a couple of different factors. One, on top of that historical average, it's going to ask you to add changes for how you lent lending in current conditions, which obviously could change for for no other reason than COVID-19. That third requirement is the one that I think most community banks and credit unions are struggling the most with, and that's the reasonable and supportable forecast. So it's asking you to look over the life of those particular assets and provide a, a reserve, which is can be quite challenging, if, especially for your community-based lenders who don't have economists on staff to help think through how to forecast different data elements on loans. The requirements for going live changed, fortunately, for credit unions and community-based lenders. So when the standard was actually adopted in 2016, initially, most of your non-public business entities and credit unions falling into that category the go-live date was 1-1 of 2022, set out by the standard. At the end of 2019, FASB unanimously decided and voted to extend that deadline from 1-1 of 2022 to 1-1 of 2023, so providing some extra runway. Now that we look at that, at the back half of 2019, yes, it was a blessing, but we flew through 2020 not thinking about Cecil at all, trying to just take care of our employees, take care of our borrowers, and take care of that digital process and PPP that Cecil kind of fell off of the radar with understanding. Now that we're in the mid-half, halfway point of 2021, that go-live date of 1-1 of 2023 is only getting closer. Moody's Analytics is increasing the conversations in the credit union and community bank space land just on the ways we can help because we've played in the sandboxes with the Boeing credit unions of the world, the large credit unions and the cities and the JP Morgans. We're using our experience in those particular spaces to help the community-based lenders adopt their CECL framework. And it's uh, it's been 
conversations, like I said, have picked up. It's been great that institutions are actually educating the C-level executives and the boards, really, of credit unions of what to expect during that change, you know, adopting, going from an incurred loss to CECL, because like I said, it, it has increased the amount of allowance that's needed for the books and the education with the regulators as well. So that's a, that's a separate conversation that credit unions will have once CECL goes live is, okay, you know, walk us through your entire process and let's get some documentation in order. So if you haven't started your CECL journey, I encourage you to start and it, it can be painful at first, but that's what we're experiencing now that we're in the the halfway point of 2021. You're right. It's like this thing that everybody knew was going to happen. But unfortunately, we had 14 months of pandemic-related economic difficulties that needed to be addressed first. So I, I do think like now that hopefully we're on the better side of things, it's a good time to start thinking ahead and get back on track with preparing for that. So another kind of trend that we're seeing right now in general is some lower loan growth. I'm wondering if you have any advice for meeting that current challenge. What should credit unions be doing or what should they be looking at as they're thinking about ways to kind of improve on their loan growth numbers? First, I would say credit unions are not for profit, so they're not in it to make money, right? I think that's what most CEOs would tell me. But credit unions are in the business to make money for their members, right? To return that benefit to their members. And yes, we are hearing nationwide, Casey, that loan growth without PPP. I mean, PPP was instrumental in credit union land because so many credit unions got involved and it actually helped the books as far as fee income. Now that we're on the back end of the pandemic, laying aside PPP, we are seeing decreased loan growth. And in some cases, I've even talked to some credit unions out in the Midwest who are actually seeing their balance sheets contract. So, you know, loans are starting to pay off and the originations are not there. So all of the liquidity that's coming into the, the credit union, they're actually purchasing bonds and securities as a way to find margin. Outside of that, if the balance sheet is contracting on a major scale, we've even heard pickup in conversations around the M&A market. We're not just talking credit unions buying other credit union branches. We're talking about credit unions purchasing community banks and community branches for that deposit base and that loan growth that they're going to experience. After an M&A conversation, it's immediately accretive in value to the to the top line, net interest income. So that is the way that several are combating it. So I've, I've heard of several in the past couple of weeks in the Southeast that have pulled the trigger on acquisitions. And that's just because of the absence of that loan origination looking to expand their membership base and that the way to do it is use that cash that's sitting in the the credit union now and purchasing loans from both acquisitions, bank acquisitions, or going to a a broker dealer and purchasing loans that they may not lend into. We've heard throughout the pandemic, yes, loan growth was decreased, but we're we're seeing an uptick in solar type lending, which is is something that it's new, relatively new, but carries a, a higher margin. So hearing credit unions pick up in that space as well. So just looking for margin, it, the search for yield is real. And I think ways that some credit unions are combating that purchasing of securities and purchasing of whole loan portfolios. It's interesting. There are a lot of opportunities that are out there despite some of the challenges right now. As credit unions are considering all of these things, they're considering what they need to do to get prepared for CECL. They're looking at what they need to do to perhaps work on loan growth, all of the other things coming out of this pandemic period that need to be revisited or revised on changing conditions. There's just, there are a lot of competing priorities. 
So my final question for you is what resources are out there and what would you recommend credit unions do to seek help in sorting through some of these priorities and looking for expertise to just help them to put together a plan for tackling all of them in the right order and at the right time? I've had several conversations with some board members of the NCUA who have strongly advised credit unions, specifically the community-based credit unions, to talk to their regulators about what their expectations are as far as coming in compliance for, let's just tackle Cecil. Like I said, all of the credit unions participate in PPP and are coming out of that loan deferment and are seeing payments, working on ways to originate loans for their members, trying to expand membership. The challenge on the regulatory side is that compliance, compliance with CISO. So start the education process now and look towards what the regulators and or external audit firms are going to be asking. Obviously, with the way of the pandemic, the other challenges are, are you lending to the people who need money? I mean, that's something the regulated NCUA is pushing right now is just help members of society out, bring in new members that need a local community-based institution who you can store your deposits with and who will help you either build business or expand home ownership. So there are several challenges out there right now. Fortunately, Casey, we mentioned that things are opening up and Credit is available right now. Hopefully, institutions will start working with new members, new people in their community-based lending groups for small businesses, and ultimately think about Cecil on the back end. Yeah, on the search for M&A, I know there's an application process there on the M&A side. So if you are experiencing challenges in loan growth and you want to expand that membership base, start that conversation with your regulators about submitting that application if you're able to apply M&A or if you're able to purchase whole loans. The underlying of all of that, just the common denominator is start having conversations with your regulator on what's out there, what you can do to grow and to help your membership base. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. This podcast is sponsored by Moody's Analytics. To learn more about how Moody's Analytics can guide the digital transformation of your credit process, visit moodysanalytics.com.